Hi, everybody. I'm Diane Brady. I'm here with James D. White, who is the former CEO of Jamba Juice, co-wrote a terrific book with his daughter, Anti-Racist Leadership, How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World. James, good to see you. Um, I know that this book was written in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. We're now seeing all these interesting moves uh, in the political realm against being anti-racist. I was curious to know your your views of this. You know, what do you make of our current environment? Dan, thanks for having me on. We're uh, thrilled to be able to talk about uh, our book, Anti-Racist Leadership. Again, this uh, book was, uh, you know, catalyzed around the, the uh, tragic murder of George Floyd uh, and precipitated kind of on my part uh, after receiving just countless calls from uh, board members, fellow CEOs that wanted to, you know, kind of understand actions that they might take um, to make their own organizations more inclusive, more thoughtful. So if I fast forward to where we sit today, I'm still receiving the same set of calls, uh, but the calls have the context in this divided world. How do we continue to do the work that we know is important. Uh, we view the, the topic of anti-racist leadership as being even more important in this divided world, but we've got to find ways to uh, really unite our organizations to do the right work uh, and you know create uh, safe spaces for really all the humans that work in our companies. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me is What's really changed? You know, we have a recency bias where we tend to think that, you know, what happened in the last year or two is is new. And um, I'm, I'm curious in terms of your own experience. Let's take Target, which you mentioned in the book. I, I don't, I can't imagine that five years ago, rainbow colored underwear would actually cause such a backlash that it would visibly hurt sales. Do you think, do you think the conversation around race has changed that much? You know, when you look back over your career and where we are today. So what I've seen in, in terms of the course of the last few years, and if I just take a step back and even think about over the course of my career, the change that started to happen uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder uh, was the most significant and sustained change that I had seen inside of corporations uh, across my entire work life. And I think the pushback that we've seen over the um, recent last year to 15 months is because so much progress and so much change uh, was being made. And I view the change to be generational change that will continue to move and march uh, forward. But when there's great change, there's always great pushback. Um, and for me, it's just an indication uh, that real progress was being made both in the boardroom and the executive suite and really throughout uh, corporations. Um, and, I, and I think the best leaders won't get distracted by the pushback and will stay uh, really focused on the mission. You know, I'm remiss not to talk about anti-racist uh, leadership as a concept versus inclusive, which is a term that we've used for many years. What in your mind is the difference? I think for us, as we wrote the book and um, 
if you'll allow me for a moment, what, what I often do is I, I, I read the really opening paragraph in the book, and this was crafted by my daughter who co-wrote the book with me. Uh, this book is not apolitical. This book is explicitly anti-racist, pro-black, pro-LGBTQIA, and feminist. This book takes the stance that Black Lives Matter, that LGBTQIA rights are human rights, and that people of all abilities deserve respect and access, and that people of all genders have the right to sovereignty over their bodies and identities. The, this book acknowledges that capitalism is built on a foundation of systemic racism, and that to have a truly diverse, equitable, and inclusive work environment, we must acknowledge the historic and present injustices faced by marginalized people. And the reason then that I read that quote um, is that I, I think it underpins kind of the generational difference in, in the way um, people view the world. So this was crafted by my daughter. It's crafted right after the uh, tragic murder of George Floyd. She comes to me and says, Dad, I've got a different way to start our book. Uh, that paragraph is almost unedited from around the 1st of June in 2020 when she comes to me. We read that paragraph a couple days later uh, to the group that was working with me on the book, and the comment that I received was, James, you're a mainstream business person. Uh, do you care if you ever work again? You know, really? So you think it was that, that harsh? I mean, one of the, I guess one of the things I think about is when you say that um, capitalism is built on a foundation of systemic racism, I suppose the question I would ask is, you've certainly encountered racism. I'm sure I think there's certainly truth to that. And the question is then one of the, um, sh are we therefore anti-capitalist? Because that's now become part of the conversation. Do you think there's people mistake the genesis yeah, the, of capitalism I, with being be anti-capitalist? Yeah, I'd be the opposite of that. Uh, what I'm really all about is, is is telling the truth, and I think the truth actually matters. And sure, um, the the back and forth with my daughter and myself, um, the place we came to in writing this book is we're beyond the point in our history to soften language to make people comfortable. And we've got to, we, we actually have to describe things as what they are. So I'll give examples. When I started my career at the Coca-Cola company in my sales territory, um, they had to- In Missouri? Remove, uh, they had to remove a set of uh, stores in, in the state of Missouri uh, because it was a head, my sales territory was largely in Missouri, but went into Arkansas and the town in Arkansas needed to be removed was the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan. So that's a reality. That's a reality I never talked about until 2020. There, there was really no audience to have that conversation. And as I think about the sales territory that I worked in, it would have been sundown towns and it's towns where it would be unsafe to be black or brown after dark. I remember, uh, and I'm selling Minute Maid orange juice at the time. I go in, um, to a retail location where I'm selling uh, and the manager says, James, we heard you were in town. Uh, I would just suggest that you're not here after dark. And this is actually somebody who's trying to be helpful. So I think the at, at the heart of why we talk about anti-racist leadership, why we titled the book in the way we titled it 
is that we need to actually describe things well, uh, as they are. That's an interesting example because let's take the shadow towns and and you know you're you're going into this territory which must have been extremely you know I I, I can't imagine frankly you're going into a place where you can feel hostility and yet you're trying to do business with the people in this town you're trying to sell them minute made was your reaction to get out of town before sundown just because you know what this is the way it is i mean how did you well, view it, it back then Dad, you... i was a young person at the time i don't even think i thought about the danger i was excited to have the job i was working with one of the best corporations yeah of uh, course in america uh, so i was just really focused on doing my job but I share that story just to talk about the barriers that I would have encountered to my own career and success. And I, you know, I compare that to colleagues that would have been, you know, starting at the same time in other companies, white colleagues that wouldn't have faced that issue. So for me to surmount the challenges that I faced across my career, and those are just a couple examples that's really the point no and it's a good point because there's a two steps forward one step back aspect i think about you know uh, ted wells is a good friend and i wrote a book about him and some men at holy cross and in the aftermath of martin luther king's death there was a certain momentum perhaps not as strong as george floyd but a certain momentum and recognition you know of this need to you know focus on black leadership and bringing more um helping people sort of move up into different income streams. Now we're seeing a court injunction, for example, against the Fearless Fund, which is specifically targeted at helping black female founders on the grounds that those grants are racial discrimination, which I find outrageous and disheartening. I don't know. I mean, you said it's uh, these are just emblematic of the backlash we face when there's too much attention but does it not feel i mean let me go back to when you were that kid you know starting out at coca-cola company let me put you in a different role let's say you're anheuser-busch you send a can of bud light to a, a trans woman and then boom your bud light sales you know go down the tube in a matter of weeks. What do you do in that situation? Because to be anti-racist, to be inclusive, is to say we stand by Dylan Mulvaney, and yet you know by doing so, for some reason you're sacrificing sales. What's the right thing to do? Yeah, I can't speak for the the team at Anheuser-Busch. I can really only speak for the leadership experiences that I've had in the the companies that I have a, a tremendous amount of uh, respect for, um, you, you've actually got to be just true to your values and kind of execute, um, your, your values and you've got to live them out. Your employees and key stakeholders are going to respect those. Um, this, this is really not a, not about stunts, political or otherwise. This is really about doing the right thing, uh, as it relates to humans in inclusive of both your workforce and the consumers uh, that you serve. The book that we wrote is really about um, creating space for really all humans to do the best work inside corporations. 
Um, and that includes how the companies show up in communities that they support and and, and serve. Do you uh, get asked? Another, well, I sit on uh, the board of a, a supermarket in the state of Missouri, Snook Supermarket, a fourth generation family run business. And in the state of Missouri, uh, the way they focus around this time is unity is power and we stand against racism, period. And they haven't backed off of that. And uh, that's actually served them well uh, in, in the communities that they serve. Tell me a little bit about, do you think that um, if you were in a CEO role right now, how would you be dealing with cancel culture? Is one of, like the, let's take language. Uh, Saying, for example, I, I'm going back to the statement you read at the beginning of, of capitalism and systemic racism. Is it, You see a lot of CEOs being quieter in this environment. What's your advice to them? Is this a time to be quiet? Just do your business, be as inclusive as you can, and not be out there making statements? Well, I've certainly seen a retrenchment, you know, for some where where they're more focused on getting the work done than making you know public comments, and I think that works fine. I think it depends on uh, what business you're in, whether you can sit on the uh, sidelines and not make comments on issues that are critical to your business. Uh, you know, so I think it depends, and context is important. Um, you know, for me as a as a leader, when when I led. Jamba, there were things that were really important for me to uh, weigh in on. Youth unemployment was one of the areas that we weighed in on. Uh, we were active participants in creating um, job opportunities for underrepresented uh, minorities during my tenure uh, there. So we focused on things uh, that were important in the context of the running of, of our own business. So to be anti-racist, um, I think, is a very overt act, as you talk about in the book. And um, again, I go back to the, a little bit about the political environment. There's been a lot of concern about decisions around affirmative action, you know, the, the need for to level the playing field with education. Now we've got, you know, targeting of funds that help, in this case, you know, black female founders what do you think about in this environment in terms of to what extent you know to address systemic racism is a conscious act and that conscious act has to involve to some extent favoring marginalized groups um are do you have a sense that it's more difficult now or do you feel like there's a way to do it despite the blowback that we're saying i think we've just got to be thoughtful i mean you're specific to your point on the fearless fund i I participate with a startup founder who was funded by the Fearless Fund and yep. applaud all the fantastic work that they do. Um, and there are always they've, there's always been versions of this pushback throughout our history. And I, I think you know folks that are uh, you know of good conscience and are trying to run great businesses that are for all and inclusive kind of foundationally we have to keep at the at the at the good work um 
and and some of the pushback is just really a distraction to people trying to run good businesses. We've got the most diverse generations in our workforce that we've ever seen. We've got four generations in the workforce. And I'd argue that more of the next generations coming to the workforce uh, have viewpoints that are more similar to my daughter than not. Yeah, and, um, and I think you're right. And I think companies are, I think companies are gonna disadvantage themselves. Um, and this is a tough time to be CEO. Yeah. Uh, there's never been a more challenging time to be CEO, um, you know, but with that, you know, r- really incredible responsibility, um, leadership courage is required. Any thoughts when you look at the political environment, since it is so divided um, and you know, obviously many people operate blue states, red states, big cities, small towns. Um, how do you navigate that right now, especially when there's a concern about an overt legal challenge, not just consumers grumbling? I think the best leaders really find the things inside their own companies that unite them. Um, and they use that as the true north that, that kind of guides them what, what they actually value in in the business that they're running and uh, the stakeholders that they serve and you know for me that was always the way uh, i operated and uh, you know kind of future focused and try to let the distractions and the noise sit somewhere on the outside of how um, we operated the companies at least that i was a, a part of and my values never i never wavered never changed and was always uh, really very focused on always building more inclusive environments, uh, more inclusive companies, uh, because I felt it in my heart of heart that that would advantage the businesses that I work for. And I think most of the places uh, that I had stops on this journey, I think, you know, my, my track record speaks for itself. Yeah, no, I think it does. And um, do you think that race, maybe it always has been, weaponized to I me mean, i'm thinking of you know, you're not a pundit on trump but certainly during his current you know civil fraud trials he's been accusing the attorney general um, of new york of being racist um, maybe that's just par for the course when you're angry at being charged but when you think about how race is talked about in the political context now how do you view it yeah, I think for, for, for me, I, I, I stay out of um, politics in, unless it impacts the businesses. It, um, but it is impacting businesses now, isn't it? On. Yeah, in states like Florida. I mean, so you set the Trump thing aside. I don't really have a viewpoint on yeah, that. I'd... But uh, some of the policies in a state like Florida that is very important for most businesses um, it's just a little bit problematic. Um, you know, so what would you do? Company or your CEO. Do you have advice um, for people who are not even just running companies, they're running divisions, they are trying to operate businesses there. What would you be doing? Yeah, I think you've got to be thoughtful, but you've always got to live to your the values of your particular company. Um, and I think uh, the current leader in place at Disney absolutely did that. And I think 
um, you know, if we look back on what happened in that state four or five years from now, we'll, we'll actually see uh, the, the benefit of that approach. Uh, he, he was unwavering on what the values are of the company. You know, I often think, James, when you go back to the start of your career and you think, you know, decades hence, are we further ahead than you thought we would be or not as far as you thought we would be given kind of what the world looked like when you were starting out your career? Well, I, t I tend to be an optimist. Uh, and in some ways, if we would have had this discussion even 18 months ago, I would say we were making just really monumental uh, progress. If I look at the diversity in the boardroom, and that's another place uh, that I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, trying to create more inclusion uh, in the in the boardroom. Uh, the pushback that I've seen over the last 15, 18 months has been violent, but it represents uh, the the fact that I made this point earlier that significant change is being made. There'll be another generation of leaders uh, so that I think will be more thoughtful. Uh, so I continue to be hopeful. So it's the light, uh, like the last gasp of the old guard is more how you see it versus a, a new wave of conservatism that's threatening well, the advances it's a, it's a, we've made. It's a, it's a pushback against this generational change that is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's happening. Uh, and the best leaders get that the fact that we've got more women in, in leadership uh, gives me great hope um, that it, we're going to see significant change. Uh, is there a way one other question I had was um, especially because you're somebody who went into these you know hostile environments and did very well how do you bring the fearful along the people who are so fearful that they are pushing this backlash that they see, you know, new faces, uh, women, et cetera, coming into the room and, and feel threatened. What have you done as a CEO or, you know, as a, as a pundit? Um, how do you bring that group along? Because you can't ignore, you can't ignore them at the same time, to your point, you can't pander. Yeah, my approach has always been, Diane, um, to be an inclusive leader, and that means for all. I mean, I, I, I mean, we wrote this book to build great cultures intentionally for all companies, uh, and that includes all the humans, including white males. Uh, and one of the things that my daughter often says, if, if you can build processes and policies and systems that work for uh, the the most disadvantaged among us is going to work well for the for most advantaged. The yeah. Yeah. It's going to work well for all the humans. So that, I mean, that's the way I've, uh, you know, tried to operate as a leader. What else is on your radar that you would put on ours, you know, just at this moment in time, when you're looking at the landscape, if you were starting out your career, you know, in this environment today, any advice for that next generation that's also nervous about offending anyone or causing a backlash? Yeah, I think the advice that I would have for the next generation of leaders that will run uh, corporations is culture really matters. Uh, you either have culture by design or default. Um, 
And if you can build a culture that is inclusive, that works for all the humans, uh, you're going to have a clear advantage, um, you know, building the next great uh, company. So my advice is to, um, you know, always, you know, lead with empathy and try to think about all the humans. Uh, and you'll have a, a, a great opportunity to lead uh, us into this next generation, and I'm hopeful. Any advice in terms of how loud to be about this? Because uh, when I think back to the aftermath of George Floyd, there was a lot of public statements, a lot of public support. I don't hear that so much anymore. Should we? I think for me, I'm more a person of action. Uh, and I would encourage leaders just to continue to do the work, be about the uh, the action of creating more inclusive workplaces to uh, make sure they create environments where all the um, stakeholders can be best served. Um, so it's really all about the action that people take. Great. Uh, James, thank you for joining us to talk about this, and I appreciate it.